and welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast, talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles, a Friday night victory in Inglewood to discuss as the Texans welcome the 49ers to NRG this Thursday in the final preseason game before the real stuff starts. But joining us this week, a returning guest, writer for DrRoto.com and the co-host of the new Houston football show, Mr. Jason Braddock. How you doing? Hey, doing well. Thank you for having me on. Always a always a pleasure, and good to have you back as well, Jason. How have you? Good hearing you asking questions at training camp. How you how you found being out there this year? Uh it's it's pretty good. Yeah, you know, it's great being back out there. Uh, the environment's good. A lot more relaxed than what it had been in recent years. Uh, there's not this like doom and gloom over the organization like it has been for much of the uh, last couple seasons. Yeah. No. And do you feel a sort of different um, atmosphere from the players to the coaching staff to the front office officials, PR staff, everybody around? Is there kind of is it almost tangible a different sentiment and a sense of hope, perhaps, or a or a sense of uh, upward and forward looking that probably not been been there before? Yeah. Well, one hundred percent. I mean, it feels like a, a professional organization. Like, let's just be honest here. It had gotten to the point where the Texans organization was being mentioned as one of the laughing stocks of the NFL. So to see them go ahead and do a 180 on that. And I'm sure the fans checking out over the last couple of years and attendance being down and events not drawing as much as they used to just played a part in that. But there's an authenticity that comes with it with Cal McNair out there, a billionaire going out there and cooking hamburgers for, you know, for the Texans fans. And you're going to have the people that are still bitter. I get it. It's going to take them a little bit longer to come back to the Texans that are saying, oh, it's a PR stunt. It's this, it's that. Listen, this is a billionaire out there in Texas heat making burgers for people. So whether you think it's a PR stern or not, I didn't see any other billionaires cooking, you know, cooking food and making burgers in the heat uh, for their fans. So people like to be naysayers. I get it. The organization uh, probably did push the fans away quite a bit with some of the moves, transactions, and uh, some of the silliness going on in the organization. But it feels like a professional organization Everything from the top down really, truly feels like alignment, which we we heard Bill O'Brien and Brian Gaines speak. And then a year later into their five-year arranged marriage, there was a divorce. But this feels like true alignment, lovey, authentic. Pep Hamilton, Nick Casario, the eye for talent, having been there and done that. There's none of this false bravado and trying to poke your chest out and make people respect you. They've already earned that respect. And I I would say that and the players seem to be a lot more happy. And uh, let me tell you, I know fans might not care about that, but jovial players that enjoy going to work, perform better and it creates a better atmosphere so yes to answer your question 100 percent, the atmosphere has changed yeah it was good to hear and i think you it's just you, you see it coming across but i suppose unless you're there in person i suppose you can see it if it's, it's genuine or not but i suppose a big big wedge between the fans and and having good PR and having a good football team um, it feels like hopefully this will be the last time we'll talk about it until week 13 uh, but it was the Deshaun Watson suspension came down 
late last week. Um, what did you make of, firstly, the amount of games? Because, ironically, his first game back will be travelling to Houston. And also the fine of $5 million kind of seemed a bit light. Right, right. And I, I think, you know, it's been covered pretty heavily. I mean, Deshaun, uh, we're talking... Tw- Mid twenties, you know, with cases and people that's come forward, that's an issue. And I'll be honest with you, the thing that really didn't sit right with me is that right before the end, right before the ruling was going to come down on whether the suspension should be lengthened, um, we saw Deshaun put forth a face of like, yeah, I'm sorry and all this stuff, and his agent and the camp was quiet. But as soon as it came out, all right, he'll be returning to play the Texans, $5 million fine. I think what really didn't sit well with people and didn't sit well with me is all of that was gone, and it let you know he was just being fake, and I don't think he's learned anything from, from all of this, which is insane when you think about all the victims and everybody that's been affected by this, how much time in the prime of his career he's missed uh, being traded and to still just go out there and just have this bravado about him, almost like he's annoyed that it's gone on. And yes, I'm reading in the mannerisms and body language uh, and also word choice as well. When he decides to say, I know a lot of people were triggered by this. It was, it was annoying. I think that's the best word for me to see like, wow, this young man didn't learn one bit. It hasn't humbled him at all. And if I'm into Sean and in uh, his corner, I'm concerned about that. But the problem is, is his agents out there saying the same silliness. So you're letting him know this is what he's been getting in his ear the entire time. Instead of Deshaun, we can't have this again. You're going to have to change. You need to get counseling. This is an issue. This is a problem. His agent, soon as it comes out, who had quieted down for the most part uh, towards towards the latter part of this uh, run up to the suspension, becomes vocal again and lets you know that that he's given Deshaun the same vice, and that's why Deshaun is not going to learn his lesson. And if I'm a Browns fan and you're like, all right, well, let's just move forward this, I'm concerned moving forward because I don't think Deshaun learned his lesson. Yeah, I think so. I mean, the, the, the advice and the guidance he's been given as a young man from people who are there to help him have not been great, uh, but he's certainly not helped himself. Uh, and hopefully, hopefully, he doesn't help the Browns all that much in when he comes back week 13 at NRG. It'll be about 700 days, I think, since he's played a competitive football game. So, you know, hopefully there'll be some rust there and hopefully the crowd can take advantage of that. And it should be set for an interesting evening, I think, Jason, from the stands. Oh, yeah, 100%. I think that's another part that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. Again, I'm just reading tea leaves here. I'm not reporting anything. I'm not saying this is what happened. But just reading the tea leaves on what we had seen and heard that was reported out there was that the NFL really wanted that 12-game suspension so he wouldn't play the Texans. They Roger Goodell in the NFL doesn't want Deshaun Watson returning to Houston in the first game, but for Deshaun to fight it and push it and for them to find a middle ground that is him returning to Houston, that's got to be Deshaun. You know, pettiness and Deshaun wanting to go back and I'm going to show them and prove them wrong. Do you you have nothing to prove 
anybody wrong in Houston. Nobody in Houston did anything wrong. Nobody in Houston was wrong in their viewpoint of you before and after all that transpired. You, again, I'm speculating here. So uh, my, my concern, though, is that there had to be a driving force that it had to be that game in Houston because it felt like all the reports coming out was that they were doing everything for him not to play. It was specifically a 12 games that they wanted, which would mean the last game would be the Texans game. And then they come to a middle ground. That's him playing in the Texans game. That feels like too much of a coincidence to me. And, uh, the only reason I can see Deshaun pushing for that, I don't think is to get back one game earlier. I don't think it's to save a little bit more money from one less game. I think it's pettiness and Deshaun wanting to go show the people in Houston and the Texans organization something. And I just think that's just a lack of self-awareness from Deshaun Watson. You should have wanted to sit out that game because it's going to be like a reenactment of Game of Thrones with him coming out of the tunnel and the shame bells from the entire crowd. <laughs> shame, shame, shame. <laughs> I think it's going to be an interesting afternoon. I've seen people mention about getting it flexed, but I think it's too early. I may be wrong, but I think it's too early in the season to, to allow it to be flexed. Um, but That's a good question. I'm not yeah, sure right I off. Think, yeah, yeah, I'm, well, my question. understanding was week 15 onwards, uh, the sort of December games are the ones that can be flexed. But, you know, I'm sure... I'm sure it can be done if, if there's a, a product to sell there or there's a willing buyer, perhaps. If, you know, <laughs> Amazon go, or a streaming right. service want to put it on, perhaps. Um, but yeah, I think so in terms of training camp, Jason, has there been any, um, in terms of the games you've seen, obviously you see carryovers. Has there been anybody this year that's that you've been impressed with in camp, but you've not seen it in these first two preseason games? That I haven't seen in the first two preseason yep. games? Haven't shown up uh, on the field yet. It's it's been that's a that's a good question, but it's a tough question as well because in in camp you'll see guys most you'll see Tunsil out there, uh, you'll see Justin Britt out there, and you'll see the ones in a preseason game leading into this week. We're not seeing that like this past weekend. I know you know they only play once a week, so everyone wants content, and I'm um present company included, you know, you're going to talk about what you're seeing and what's going on right there, but there's such small sample sizes in this preseason game. Like, let's take the last preseason game, for example. The number one running back, the number one wide receiver, the number one tight end, the left guard, uh, left tackle, and center, starting center. That's six out of 11 that didn't play in the game. You know, I mean, six of your 11 starters and we're making assessments on Davis Mills throwing, uh, I forget what a stat line was, what, 10, 15 passes, maybe more. Uh, I, I can't recall the stat line right off, but my point being it's such a small sample size and you're doing it uh, at a disadvantage where you don't have chemistry built with these guys. And most of the time, Davis Mills is out there repping with Brandon Cooks and Nico Collins. But I think they're forcing this for a couple reasons, because they don't want to go out there. They don't want to go out there uh, with Davis Mills and work on his strengths. I mean, you're going to continue to to work on your strengths throughout camp and everything. But in the games and when you get these live reps, you want to work on the weaknesses. And I think that's what we're seeing a lot with Pep Hamilton. Another thing to remember is that they're being super vanilla. They're not showing anything in these preseason games. And, you know, people want to see, well, what's Pep's offense going to look like? And so they're just want tidbits of information. They see this vanilla attack. 
It's the same as last year. Don't look good. No, I, I would say be patient. Be patient to week one and on into the season there. Let the starters get live game reps together and then also let Pep show uh, show the wrinkles. What What's the advantage to showing those wrinkles now? They've shown them in practice, but obviously being part of the media and the privilege of being able to watch practice, you can't you can't talk about things like that. You can't talk about different packages and stuff that, you know, uh, they're going to show in games and all that. That's just part uh, part of the deal. So here's the thing. I think we're probably making way too much of it like we do every single preseason. But there are areas of concerns for Davis Mills. You know, I mean, the deep ball. You've heard people talk about the deep ball in camp and. And then it doesn't coincide with the stats last year that had him as one of the best deep ball throwers on passes of 20 plus yards. So I went back and studied all his throws from last year and I realized where that point is, is about 30 yards and longer. There is a legit concern there. He doesn't throw a good deep ball. There's no way to sugarcoat it. He And the, the concerning factor about his deep ball, when you're talking about 30 plus yards downfield, is the ball location where it's just always shortened back inside. That's the, that's the worst place. You don't want to put it back inside where the corner coverage is. You want to put that outside, over that outside shoulder. Drop it there in the uh, bucket where a corner can't even get to it. And so the deep ball is an issue, and you look at some statistical uh, splits between his passer rating, uh, left side of the field, center of the field, and right side. He's one of the 10 best quarterbacks in the NFL is when he's throwing to his right. The problem is when he throws to the middle and his left, he's one of the 10 worst. So there, there's a ton of areas concerned, 74 percent of his passes last year and this has more to do with the offense they ran were one to ten yards 74 percent so it's too high of a percent so i think we'll see them open it up a little bit more and i think the development of nico collins has probably been the biggest eye-popping um development we've seen in camp this year he looks like a legit number two wide receiver in his second season in the nfl yeah, I think definitely the, the, the performance from Nico, albeit he dropped that ball um, when he was kind of getting wrestled to the ground by a couple of uh, DBs. But I think it was good to see that sort of physical presence because I think if anybody's got a criticism of Nico is he just doesn't use that God-given frame well enough at times to bot guys out, be consistent. But he did that. He, he gained extra yards after the catch and he had the, the catch in the end zone, which that drive albeit there was some terrible throws before that Jason I thought I mean that's perhaps sugar-coated um, some stuff for Davis because there was a couple of errant throws I thought you know Chris uh, Moore and um, and get uh, and, and Conley looked off the mark and I think wide receivers are concerned but certainly it was good to see Nico Collins certainly looking like the player that everybody said he was in camp and I think injuries just curtailed his, the development of his rookie year last year yeah, I mean, my problem with Nico coming out was that he had three years of NFL coaching while at Michigan. You're talking about having Jim Harbaugh and an NFL coaching staff up there with him. So you watch the film and you see this big, big guy, 6'4 guy, 220, great movement skills. But you watch the film, he's tripping over his feet coming out of route. He's sloppy. Uh, he's not making the catches like you talked about. Uh, and, and there's just so much rawness. I'm like, wow, after three years of NFL coaching. So I thought that limited his other. Upside. And so I come into camp this year and I watch him the first two, three days that open weekend. He stumbles out of his break a couple times, trips coming out, uh, coming out the get off right off the line. And I'm like, oh, same old Nico. Then he drops a couple passes that he should have. 
after about that third day of camp, we saw a different Nico. I was like, wow, Nico had his best day of camp. Then the next day, and it has been that every single day. He hasn't had a bad day since that opening weekend. And I'm watching them, and every day the Texans have on their uh, their staff Dylan Thompson. He was a former quarterback for the South Carolina Gamecocks, and now he's kind of like uh, the Jack used to be of the team, if you will, like a character coach. I'm not sure exactly the title. It might be character coach. But regardless, they have this quarterback a legit quarterback sec quarterback on the roster and nico is taking advantage of this and i don't know if it's the team's doing nico's doing or dylan thompson i don't know whose decision it was but every practice when nico's not in the game it's not his rep or he's off to the side of the field behind it he's working on on passes dylan's standing about 10 yards away sometimes firing the ball behind him over his head making him adjust on the fly quickly and teaching nico to frame the ball up because he wasn't framing the ball as well either now he's framing it perfectly it's, it's becoming natural then after practice almost every single day you're seeing him out there working on the end zone specific catches jump balls the catch we watched him make in that preseason game he's working on after practice every day so the one thing i would say about nico well, let me throw this out there Jalen strong and nico collins when they came out in the draft before the texans drafted them i had third round i had fifth round grades on both of those guys the texans took each of them in the third round and Jalen showed that uh, you know my concerns and the valuations were probably right nico to this point makes me feel like I'm 100% wrong. And what, what's the difference? And I have no issue owning that because the difference is, isn't what you see on film. And it's not what I saw yeah, on film. The difference yeah. is in the makeup of the man. And Nico is a professional. In his second year, he's a professional. He made the decision he was going to be a professional. And he was going to work every weakness in his game and polish off all the rough edges until it's round and smooth. And that's what we're seeing. And that's why Nico is going to make me wrong. Because Nico is going to turn out to not only not be a fifth-round grade, not be a third-round grade where the Texans take him, but I think we're going to see a return on Nico that's first, second-round value with what we're seeing from the guy and that might sound crazy it might be a complete 180 from where i was pre-draft but it all goes into the makeup of the person we don't get to media evaluators we don't get to interview the guys and most of us don't get to interview the guys get to know the prospects see what their makeup is the mental side of it so it's just tape and the difference is, so I like to use that illustration because the difference in those two guys and how I saw them and how the Texans saw them, the difference in them is in them and something that's not on tape. It's on their DNA makeup. Who's a dog who understands they're a pro now and is going to go act like a pro. And Nico gets that. Yeah, that's it. And I think it's just how much do they want it, right? And then, as you said, you only see that away from the, the field and it hopefully continues on that trajectory is the position in its totality wide receiver Jason a concern I know you've got sort of um you've got them taking five guys on the 53 I think Philip Dorsett's the the third option perhaps in the slot but he can also play outside I was a bit critical of Chris Moore and Chris Connolly's particularly Chris Moore's play where they they were running the ball really well then play action out of an eye formation with a full back on the field and it's bounced off his hands and it was a great throw uh, by by Allen, um, is that is that is that how you see them going with, with with the five? And is there anybody else that's you know the Johnny Johnsons, Jalen Camp, Connor Weddington, 
Estrada was back out there today. Is there any of those guys you think have maybe got a chance to catch on? Uh, I think the closest of those would be Connor Weddington to catch on. Uh, but what I've noticed is that uh, like Connie ha- Connolly hasn't had a great camp. But Conley is so smart, a great personality. I mean, that dude might be a coach after. He might be a rocket scientist. Like, I saw him speak another day, and I was just blown away by the way he carried himself, carried the room. Like, he could be the president of the United States if he wants to be. That's how impressed I am with him. But I'm going to be honest with you, though. On the football side of things, he's just not that dude. I mean, he's just not a top three receiver. But because of his intelligence and knowing the offense, he can play the X, the Y, the Z, he gives you a vet depth at all three positions, and it feels like this team trusts their their vet wide receivers, and that's who they want to go uh, go into these games with. So, originally, I thought they would keep six to get one of those younger guys on there because Connor Weddington was looking great the first couple of weeks of camp. The last week or slow, so, excuse me, last week or so, he's really uh, slowed down, particularly in games. We haven't seen what we saw in practice resonate in the games yet. So I think with the NFL, you know, having those 16-man practice squads instead of where they were years ago, increasing all the way up to 16 really allows you to have kind of a minor league uh, depth, like your triple-A, if you will. And I think they could put two to three of those receivers on there, Jalen Camp, Johnny Johnson, and Connor Weddington. Now, out of those three, I would probably rate Connor Weddington top, then Jalen Camp, then Johnny Johnson. My problem with Camp and Johnson is that they haven't shown consistently. They'll flash, like Camp will flash a day, and you won't think about them for two, three days. Then it will flash again. Johnny Johnson uh, will go like a first week or two, didn't really pay him attention. Then he caught like two or three touchdowns in practice. So there's enough there and enough flashes that I think you put them on a practice squad, but I don't think any of those guys get a roster. And mostly, I think Weddington could take that roster spot over Conley, but I think they will go with the vet, and they're not afraid of Weddington getting stole off the practice squad. So they'll go five there. And then at that third receiver spot, um, I think you hit the nail on the head. I had Chris Moore there because Chris Moore had caught everything last year. 21 of 22, 95.5% catch rate. And this is after 2016 through 2020 being in Baltimore with an MVP quarterback in Lamar Jackson and having a 56% catch rate. So uh, watch him in camp. He looked exactly like he did last year. I had compared him to Brandon Lloyd. He caught everything like Spider-Man within his radius. But over the last four or five days, last couple practices and into that game, his hands, the one thing that's been his superpowers, has become has come into question. Now, to be fair, the deep ball that should have been a touchdown that bounced off his hands, he's falling back, he's diving, but that's still something we see Chris Moore make nine out of ten times. And then what makes that more troubling is earlier in the game, he comes across the middle, and yes, Davis Mills fires it with too much velocity and way too high, and Moore elevates quickly and can only get the back part of the ball and can't hold on. That's still a pass that Moore takes typically catches, but I was more concerned with Davis Mills on that little five, 10 yard pass right across the middle and how off the market was to more than it going through Moore's hands. And I was also more concerned about Mills on 
one of the things I think they're trying to do is get him to quit locking in to his top guys. Like last year is Brandon Cooks with Brandon Cooks out. It's Nico Collins. And so I think um, they're going to have to break him of that because we saw him at one point when you went back and watched the film. I'm sure it really stuck, stood out to you as well that he just stares down Nico Collins. And I'm watching live like, good Lord, he's going to throw this ball because he's just so locked in on it. And Nico is not even out the break. There's two, three defenders in the area. And it just looks like a busted play is so bad and he locked on the targets two to three times to where if he just comes back to his progressions to the left side of the field he's got a check down that's a big gainer and that was concerning because he had time in the pocket and he never saw it uh one i remember was like uh one of the two sacks he's took it was on davis mills he's got i believe it's chris moore standing all the way back to his left with nobody on him, and he's looking in the middle to the right, never comes back to his left, instead scrambles out the pocket and takes a sack. So there are still areas of concern, but we have to remember, going into his rookie year, he only started 11 games since high school. So he was so wet behind the ears, and then he played as many – he's played let – this, let this stat stick in because it's just mind-blowing to me. Davis Mills played – started as many games as a rookie in the NFL as he did since high school. He played – he started 11 games at Stanford and 11 games in the NFL. This guy still has less experience than most quarterbacks coming out in in the NFL draft in live game actions, even when you factor in his starts in the NFL, which makes his flaws look fixable. Yeah, and I think the one of the the other sacks that uh, they gave up, Max Sharping, seems to completely have regressed since his first year in the league, came in as a rookie, looked great at times um but he seems to completely regress and I think you've got you've got him not making the roster it seems to be trending that way him and Justin McCray um the inter- the internal spots are still um a struggle but uh, is Matt Sharp and Justin McCray just can't see any way back for those guys well, they're still flipping them at left guard. This week, I think Justin McCray, get, Justin McCray gets that shot at left guard. For me personally, what we've seen from Justin McCray, Max Sharpen, and Scott Questenberry, and mind you, Questenberry and McCray uh, have repped left guard, center, and right guard throughout camp. Uh, Sharpen's more of a left guard, right guard. He's not going to give you any center rep, so that's less versatility. I would be shocked if Max Sharpen makes this roster at this point. I mean, he doesn't look good. And so why have a guy and you can get free up $2.5 millions in cap savings by cutting Max Sharpen? Do it. Well, you could also free up $2.3 million in cap savings by cutting Justin McCray. I did that on my last cut. I'm not positive on that. I'll be honest with you. I don't feel comfortable with that. This next 53, I'll probably put Justin McCray back on there. And one of those reasons, I thought they would keep five tackles. Because through, through camp, behind Laramie Tunsil and Titus, we've seen Cedric O'Brahey as that mostly the two, the two's left tackle and Charlie Heck as the three's right tackle. The rookie six-round pick, Austin Deckless, was buried with the threes. And even the undrafted kid, Myron Cunningham, at one point in camp, was at the left tackle with the threes and Deckless was with right tackle. They finally flipped that about a week or so ago with Deckless going to the left side. But now the the... 
intrigue seems to be they're going to force Deculus into this backup to Junet. So does that mean Charlie Heck or Cedric Abrahi gets hurt, uh, excuse me, cut? And I think it's going to be Abrahi who has missed time throughout camp on and off. Uh, I'm not sure if he's dealing with injury, what's going on with him. But I think Cedric Abrahi gets cut and they keep four four tackles instead of five. And that allows them to keep Justin McCray. So I'm going to probably, I'm going to take Cedric Abrahi off on this next 53-man roster and put Justin McCray back on there uh, because I don't think they're comfortable with Quesenberry starting at that left guard if Kenyon Green's not ready, and I think they may force it with Justin McCray. Yeah, because I think, I mean, there's probably not one player on the roster that Thursday night game is bigger for than Kenyon Green because the team are probably, you know, relying on him to a, a degree, which is perhaps unfair for a rookie, but to improve this run game, we've not really seen it. We'll probably get a decent taste of it or, or certainly where it is this run game because it needs to improve from last year but I don't think there's a bigger player with m- more to prove and more uh, more need of the reps than, than Kenyon Green what was your kind of evaluation of Kenyon coming out Jason oh and, I love and, Kenyon yeah, yeah. no I, th- I thought it was a great pick and I think one of the things that's been undersold and the Kenyon Green uh, selection and uh uh, is the fact that they knew they wanted Kenyon. You know, there was talk about them going at three, so a lot of smoke screen about them going offensive line at three. I didn't understand it at first, and then I'm like, okay, well, you kicked that guy. Uh, like, if you took a Conwu instead of playing him at right tackle, put him at left guard and had Titus out of right tackle, I could see that making sense. So it started making a lot of sense for me, but there was some smoke screens on that. But they still wanted to take that offensive interior offensive lineman early. And so it was down to Kenyon Green and Zion Johnson. I had Kenyon Green slightly ahead of Zion. I think both of those guys are stud. I just think Kenyon, uh, you know, coming off this injury, some of the conditioning working back from and all the time he's missing camp, then the concussion they said he had as well. So uh, he hasn't been off to a great start, but it, we haven't been able to see a, see a ton of reps from Kenyon Green because of all the missed time. He may have only been in about four or five practices to this point. And so don't expect to see him with the ones. I'd expect to see Justin McCray out there with the ones at left guard and let Kenyon Green ease back in. And then another another thing to factor in is that the Texans, after this game on Thursday, they don't play for 17 days. Yep. You know, we're down to three preseason games, not four. That's two and a half weeks to give Kenyon Green live reps in practice to get him called up. I mean, it's almost uh, – yeah, it's enough time that I think there's a chance that Kenyon Green could still push for that week one starter, especially because of how bad – you know the competition for him is there with the vets at the left guard position yeah and flip it on to the other side the ball jason i thought some of the coverage mix-ups um i thought the way in which they they predominantly had two two linebackers on the field uh, there's cover three there's cover four um they disguised a lot of cover two kind of making adjustments it was reasonably complex for some of the stuff you could often see in the preseason. what did you make of the overall kind of secondary movement um and, and disguises that were being called. And it was also great to see Derek Stingley out there. Yeah, yeah, it's great to see Stingley out there. Coming back from injury, the guy just looks the part. Uh, it's rare when you see him in person, just up close. It, it's just freakish to see a guy that size with those type of movement skills at that cornerback position. Um, so it was great seeing him, great seeing Petrie. It, you bring up a great point with all, you know, especially the blitzes, you know, 
Lovey, Lovey didn't blitz <laughs> a lot last year, and let's put it in a nice way. Uh, so to see the different blitz package and everything else, and what I chalk it up to is I think uh, – I think Lovey wants to see what guys can do. I think he sees it in practice and has ideas, but now he's like, well, let's see what this nickel can do on a corner blitz. When we do this, let's see what these guys look like on a blitz. What's the Moan Harris look like at D tackle? Uh, they, they did some NASCAR packages in that game where they took four, you know, quote unquote D ends and placed them across all four across the defensive line. Damone Harris was one of them. We'll all see, also see Rasheem Green get reps at defensive tackle and D end. So that defensive line group is just such a deep position. And I don't know if everyone uh, on the outside looking in other NFL teams realize like the, the leap and change from the last couple of years to where when J.J. Watt was no, wasn't playing at an elite level anymore, Clowney's gone, Merciless isn't providing much value, uh, and it was just bare, you know, the pressure that they were getting. Well, now, because they don't have that household name, I don't think people realize how deep this defensive line group is. Malik Collins is a stud. Uh, Jonathan Grenard is a stud. Jonathan Grenard, if if you tell me Jonathan Grenard plays 17 games this year, I'm telling you he's finishing with 12 to 15 sacks. And I have no sweat coming down my face thinking about that because Grenard is an absolute beast. Mario Addison, Jerry Hughes, Rasheem Green, Ogbo, Damone Harris. You've got six DNs that could make the 53-man roster, and two of those guys give you depth at that D-tackle position as well especially in sub packages, the D tackle position, you got Roy Lopez playing like a beast. Thomas Booker can't be moved. We talked about Malik Collins. And then you also got uh, Kurt Heinish. Kurt Heinish has been a stud in camp, which would lead me to my next point. Uh, a guy that I like coming out of TCU, Ross Blacklock. They took high in the second round. I don't think Blacklock makes this roster. I would actually be surprised if he makes the 53-man roster. All these guys they have at that D-tackle position are two-dimensional guys. Double teams run at them. They can't move them off the point. They got great balance. They're never on the ground. And they can also give you somewhat of a pass rush or be an elite pass rusher, depending on which guys we're talking about. Ross is one-dimensional. And even on that one dimension, he's not making a difference in games. So he's going to have uh, – I don't think he I don't think he makes the 53 here. Again, I'd be shocked if he makes the Texans 53 this year. Maybe they try to trade him for a conditional seventh round pick or something and send him to a system to where uh, it's a one gap system where all he's doing is just putting his hand on the dirt and firing off the ball and trying to uh, beat his man through the gap. And, and uh, he could probably have some success with that. Yeah, it was something I called a couple of weeks ago, probably a few months ago now. I just didn't, couldn't see unless there was a huge uptick in his performance. But I thought Blacklock will make that that terrible trade look even worse. Um, and it'll continue to reverberate. But I think mm. it's interesting the dynamics here because you've got guys like Kurt Heinrich that have come in, uh, Demoni Harris, who's bounced around a number of teams, uh, Kansas City, um, 
at Tampa Bay, uh, including including a few, um, and it looks like there. I think Rasheen Green's probably not done quite what we think he would have done, but I think it's an interesting dynamic where you've got guys like MJ Stewart, Kendall Sheffield, who and Fabian Monroe. All three guys are, are bigger names. Have played, got some uh, pelts on the wall in this league, but actually it's guys like Gray, uh, Graylin Arnold, it's Isaac Yadam, yeah. Traymond Smith, Jonathan Owens. Um, you know. Uh, Terence Brooks are out there making plays in preseason, rather than these guys who you, who you would have traditionally thought on paper would have made the roster. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I think that's a great point. Like uh, you hear the names MJ Stewart, and I won't run back through, but uh, all the names you mentioned and everything there, you hear those name values. But you're absolutely right. Somebody comes up there, and if you see Graylin Arnold in the street and this is no disrespect but if you saw him in the street walk right by you you'll be like whose kid is this the guy looks like he's 16 years old he's got such a baby face but he has been flying around fearless making plays uh he he had been providing uh, some safety depth there on the position where his value is really taken all off as of let, late is when somebody goes down, somebody's got to step up. Unfortunately, Tavier Thomas is probably going to be out a month to maybe two months with a quadricep. So maybe they put him on pup or something at the beginning of the year to free up the roster spot and that'll help him fit Graylin Arnold on there. But we saw Arnold in this past um, preseason game there at their cornerback position where it, at least in sub packages, down there at uh, where we've typically seen Tavier, where you're talking about nickel, dime packages coming in. And so we've seen that conversion over to where he's back more as a, a stereotypical corner now. Instead of in the safety groups and practices today, he's working with the corners. So they're going to fine-tune that, and I expect him to be a big piece of the puzzle and sub-packages on the interior. Yeah, no, definitely. And a couple of couple of quick ones before we fire out here. I saw you uh, tweeting about uh, or or tweet about Kenyon Drake. Um, the running back position is one they're probably not sure where they're going to end up. Pierce has obviously been annoying on as much as he can be for a rookie, but Mac Burkhead behind them. Um, you've got them only taking two behind Damien Pierce. Do you think running back's a position they look to try and bring another body in? Yeah, 100%. They're going to bring somebody in. Kenyon Drake's just the name of the day. Uh, I mean, it's probably about a thousand people, thousand players getting cut between now and next week. So it'll be interesting to see what names and you probably can do better than Kenyon Drake. Kenyon Drake caught my eye because um, the Texans float, excuse me, the Raiders floated out there that they're going to cut him. And then when the transaction wire came out, he's not on the transaction wire. So it's like, okay. This is one of those things vet teams do. And, you know, the Raiders are basically ran by the Patriots now, just like the Texans. You got Casario here, Easterby, and, you know, every all the ties. And Well, with the Raiders, you got Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler that come from that Patriots organization. So Texans cut Tay Davis yesterday. Who claims them today? The Raiders. Uh, you think they've got an inside scouting report? 100%. These guys have been around each other for over a decade. They're, they're familiar with each other. They're going to help each other in their organization, especially bottom of the roster moves. Here's the thing, and I haven't said this anywhere uh, publicly, but I'm going to go ahead and, and say it now. Uh, 
I don't think Marlon Mack's a lock for this team. I haven't throughout all this before camp began. I'm like, the dude's played 32 snaps in the last two years. I evaluated him coming out of South Florida, and he's never been able to stay healthy. And now he's played 32, I mean, not snaps, 32 carries over his last two seasons. 16 carries a season is average. I mean, less than one game's worth. And and we're banking on being top three. And you watch Damian Pierce's film coming out of uh, out of Florida. He was clearly the number one guy in this backfield. Burkhead and Max shouldn't even be on the roster, but they love Burkhead. He's a good short yardage back. He can help you in different areas. You know what you're uh, getting in on. Sure, there's that familiar, uh, you know, they're, they're familiar with him from the Patriot tie and everything else. They like him. And connections and relationships are a big part of the NFL. Fans hate it, but it's a big part of the NFL. So I would be shocked if Burkhead goes anywhere anytime soon. I wouldn't be shocked. If they if they cut a Marlon Mack to bring on a Kenyon Drake, do I think Kenyon Drake's a great running back? Absolutely not. Do I think he's better than Marlon Mack? Absolutely. And definitely out of that receiving backfield. This guy gives you 30 to 50 catches every year. Damian Pierce is your dog. That's your number one back. Rex Burkhead is your short yardage back. Maybe some goal line carries us too, even though I would still give it to Pierce because he's just got such a nose for an end zone. But uh Marlon Mack has, has no security on this roster. So whether it's Kenyon Drake or somebody else, uh, I, I don't think Marlon Mack's on this roster. If he makes it to week one, I don't think he's on it after the first quarter of the season, whether that's injury or just attrition, you know, either way. But yeah, no confidence at all, Marlon Mack. Um, Kenyon Drake could absolutely take his roster spot. This time of year, you know, you see organizations, smart veteran organizations float out. Hey, this guy's getting cut to some one of their insider of choice. And they all put it out there. Later that day, transaction wire goes by and hasn't been cut. So alarm bells go up like, okay, they're going to really work this now to try to get a trade. Well, let's go back to the ties. Just like the Raiders knew all about Tate Davis from their relationships with the Texans front office. I'm pretty sure Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziegler tell Nick Casario anything he wants. The Raiders backfield is set. Amir Abdullah is going to take Kenyon Drake's job. So Drake's not making that roster. Texans backfield is a far cry from the Raiders as far as depth. Talent wise, yeah, of course, give me Damian Pierce. But as far as depth, well, we just talked, you've got one running back on this roster, and that's Damian Pierce. Then you've got some other guys that are filling roster spots. Burkett will make the spot. Max spot is just a holding pattern at this time for me, but I believe we'll see churn. I wouldn't be surprised. Now, this might shock you, but I wouldn't be surprised if Dare took Marlon Max's job. If they don't uh, trade a seventh-round conditional pick for Kenyon Drake, and why would the Raiders flip this out other than to get a pick? They're not worried about the pick. If they trade them instead of $3 million in dead money or so, uh, that flips over to the other side in the cap savings because you're trading them instead of cutting them. So I, I, I think it would make sense for both parties. But if the Texans didn't have interest in Kenyon Drake, uh, I, 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 not a big deal. Quickly move on because I think they could find a better guy now. But he is better than Marlon Mack now. And if they don't add it, Marlon Mack's spot's not safe. Then um, they, they'll they'll find somebody else farther down the road to take Marlon Mack's job. Yeah, and I think is is it's a showing of where this roster is and how fluid it is. I think in certain positions. Yes. I, I saw you tweet about uh, Troy Harrison, a guy who yeah. you don't really be familiar with, and you've got a guy like maybe. 
with uh, Eau Claire being on the IR potentially for at least four weeks, you've got potential for Seth Green or, or Mason Shrek, again, a guy who caught a touchdown on Friday night to potentially be on this roster week one. Yeah, 100%. I'm glad you brought up Troy Harrison because, I mean, if anybody's been following me during camp and everything, I haven't talked about the guy one bit, haven't paid him any attention, just assumed he's a cut, bottom of the roster, third fullback behind Paul Quesenberry, Andy Janovich, didn't get my attention at all. This last preseason game, that all changed. I'm watching Janovich, and I'm like, oh, Janovich is getting cut. Quesenberry outplayed Janovich. Janovich didn't look good at all. But then all of a sudden, I see this 34, Troy Hairston. And I'm like, okay, well, what, what's going on here? <laughs> and he's on special teams. He comes flying down, blows up at, on special team and makes the tackle. Then he's on punt block on special teams, comes around the outside and drives the blocker all the way back into the punter and just barely misses blocking the punt by pushing the guy back into him. Uh, he's just pure power. And so I asked Lovey about him at the press conference after practice today. Like, hey, well, did you see stuff from Troy Harrison that impressed you in the game? He said, we've seen stuff from him throughout camp that's impressed us athlete and then i don't i didn't know much about his background but lovey was saying that he's a former defensive lineman it was just going on about him and so i'm like oh wow this is starting to make more sense because when you watch him he plays with so much leverage and power well in this past game he caught a ball out the backfield only probably about five eight yard game but when he turns he lowers he's playing with such great leverage when he's about to go into contact i'm like oh yeah this this dude's got the potential to be something at fullback, and I want to see him get more fullback reps this week. But even before saying that, I'm going to tell you this. I wouldn't be shocked if he takes Paul, Paul Quesenberry's job. I, I personally think I'd put Troy, uh, Troy Harrison over Paul Quesenberry, and I think the only reason they may not is because nobody's going to steal Troy Harrison off the practice squad. So you get that extra added depth behind Quesenberry. But I'm a, I am think the talent might be there for Hairston. Thursday's going to be big for him. Definitely going to be watching him on special team and as uh, get more fullback reps. Well, that's it. It's a tactical. They're not going to give away their hand. There's guys that will get stashed on IR. There's people they don't want to yeah. see. Uh, they don't want to put tape out there. They don't want to give away to teams. Uh, finally, for Jason, who's uh, what, what do you need to see? Um, a more fluid offense, probably a more stout secondary, I would think, because um, you're going to see the starters most against uh, San Fran on, on Thursday night. What, what are you looking for the most to, to come out of that game and feel ready for that 17-game prep for Colts Week 1? Yeah, uh, Lovey mentioned earlier in camp that he's an old school coach, and I think this was before week season, uh, preseason week one, uh, so far back. But he says I'm more of an old school coach, and I, I'll play our vet guys. That preseason week three is when you're really going to see those vets. Then he said it reiterated again today, and so it's been a consistent message, which just makes you feel like it's 100% authentic. He's not blowing smoke. I would expect to see those starters out there now. Do they play the whole first three quarters? I don't think they play the whole first three quarters, but I do think um, athletes are creatures of habits, coaches, front office as well. I do think they come back out to start the second half, so they get used to staying in those pads through halftime, talking, making a game plan, and coming back out for at least one drive in the second half, maybe half of the third quarter, but no longer than the first three quarters. So somewhere between uh, the first drive of the second half for the uh, – uh, offense 
and uh, the end of the third quarter, that's the sweet spot for uh, a lot of these guys. And the vets like Mario Addison and uh, Lovey did mention specifically Malik Collins and Jerry Hughes, guys that hadn't played, will play in this game. But vets like that, I expect them to pay, play a lot less. So I wouldn't expect them to go two, three quarters. Malik Collins, uh, Jerry Hughes, vets, you know what you're getting for them. Don't risk them to injury. Couple series, quarter, quarter and a half max for me. Yeah, no, well, I think it's probably the, the most watchable and probably the most pertinent game to try and get a, a feeling for what this team's going to be like as we get to September 11th when we take on the Colts in the Liberty White Energy Stadium. But Jason, it's great to have you back, mate. Great to have you back on the podcast. Um, always enjoy listening to you. One of the best eyes out there in terms of talent evaluation, watching the game, understanding the game, always learning something, speaking to you. So thank you very much for your time, mate. Awesome, man. It's, I appreciate the invite. Always catching up with you, man. I hope you have a great season this year. Yeah, thanks for the time, Jason. Always.